You're listening to the Branches HB Podcast. Uh, We were going to end this spirituality series this week. That was the plan. I'd laid out all the teachings. And then as I was getting into preparing this teaching... And even looking forward to a week off next week, it's my birthday next week, you know, on Saturday, so I was going to take it easy and all that. I got into this study, and I just felt the Lord was prompting me, you're not going on a break, you're going to preach another Sunday, and you're going to extend this series. And I said, yeah, I can kind of fit it all in. No, can't fit it all in. We need to extend the series. So I just want you to know there's so much to this talk. What I'm going to be introducing this morning, that we've got to go into it again next week. And I just feel led by the Spirit to share these teachings with you. I hope it lands on on hearts that are willing to receive it. Now, as we were going through this series, just to give you guys, you know, sort of where we've been, where we are today, we established that every believer, everybody through faith in Christ, has received God's living presence in their heart, in their mind, in their bodies. Okay, and the Holy Spirit is at work in all of our Christianity. Everything that we're doing to follow Jesus to bring us into harmony with the heart and mind of God. And we know that God takes, by His Spirit, all different personalities, all different people to bring us into this one united path, the most excellent way of following Jesus into the holy love of God. And He actually uses all these Spirit-empowered distinctives in each one of us. We're all different. We've all got different spiritual gifts to speak through each of us to each other along the lines of achieving that goal of Christ-likeness. So we talked about a lot of different things as we've gone through this series, but this morning what I want to talk about is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, because we talked a lot about the function of the Holy Spirit, how He operates, how we can discern His work in our lives as we move toward Christ, but there's power involved with the Holy Spirit. That is one of the main themes as you go through the scriptures, you're going to see that word appear many times as we go through our study this morning. So let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Okay, Acts chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 1 of Acts because here is a passage where Jesus is promising the gift of the Holy Spirit to believers and there is a mention of power and what it's associated with. So we're going to get into that study. If you guys know, Acts is the follow-up to the Gospels. In the Gospels, you know, it all gets to that pinnacle. Jesus is crucified on the cross. Then he's resurrected to life. And then we have Acts. The building of the church, right? What happens on the other side of the resurrection of Jesus? And it's called the Acts of the Apostles traditionally, those who are followers of Jesus. But I had a professor in school who said, look, this book is about the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is moving through all these different individuals to build the church in the context of this book. But let's read together, okay? Starting in chapter 1, verse 1. Luke is writing here, and it's in the form of a letter. He says, in my former book, Theophilus... I wrote all about that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven, after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, okay, we're really going to highlight this conversation. While he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. And we know in the Gospels, we looked at some of those teachings concerning the Holy Spirit. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized. You're going to be immersed with the Holy Spirit. 
Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. So here in Acts 1, you've got the risen Jesus instructing the apostles to wait in Jerusalem to receive the gift his father had promised them, the baptism and immersion in his spirit, in the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, the apostles want to know, oh, this is a pretty momentous thing. Are you now going to restore the kingdom, your kingdom on earth in its fullness? Okay, and I think Jesus is sort of like, oh, yeah, guys, I get it. Wouldn't that be nice? You know, it'd be real easy for you if heaven just came to earth right now and this was all done, but I'm not done. I've got a mission for you guys, right? And so he says, I want you to wait here. Verse 8, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses around the world. So here, the giving of God's Spirit is associated with what I've been talking about all the way up to this point, this theme for this morning. It's associated with power. And we see that power manifested through the book of Acts in two distinct ways, okay? Let me mention these two distinct ways. The first is the one most focused on, I think, when you think about spiritual power. The Holy Spirit gives the power to perform miracles, okay? We see that all throughout the book of Acts, all these miracles. You see that in the ministry of Jesus, him performing all these different miracles by the Spirit of God, by the power that God gives. So the Holy Spirit gives the power to perform miracles. Now, there's a question among Christians about the frequency. What's the frequency with which we're going to be performing miracles by the Holy Spirit? Okay, and some Christians will even take a passage like from John 14, verse 12, where Jesus says, look, you see the works I've been doing? I'm going to make sure you guys are doing even greater things than the things I'm doing. Some people will interpret a passage like that, you know, a curious passage, to mean that all of us as believers, because you've all received the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus, on a daily basis, you're going to be working overt miracles. That's what you should expect as far as the frequency of what you're going to do. Because Jesus said, we're going to do greater things than him. You know, the best that I can see, though, when I'm looking at the scriptures for the frequency with which Jesus' followers are going to perform the works that he did, I don't see anyone exceeding the miracles of Jesus. Not in the book of Acts. What you see is a couple people kind of matching some of the nature of the miracles that Jesus did. You've got somebody who's, you know, born lame, that, that you know, is able to walk. You've got uh, people raised from the dead. Both Peter and Paul raised people from the dead, but they don't do it as many times as Jesus. Jesus did it three times in the Gospels that we know of. And you just have one occasion here, one occasion there. It turns out nobody seems to have done anything greater than Jesus in that first generation. So, so what is the frequency you know, I think sometimes when we read the book of Acts, you know, we can flip through years and years of history very quickly. And so we get this sense like everything was active all the time. There were all these overt miracles happening every time they'd come together. It's because we're just turning a page and, you know, we're passing through years of activity. It's sort of like if you were to look at a photo album of my family and you look at the photo album and as you look through, wow, it looks like there's all these photos of the family in Hawaii. And you look at that and you go, man, Andrew must have lived on vacation his whole life or he like lived in Hawaii his whole life. Because you look at it and you see, hey, this is in Hawaii every time, you know, there's another photo album. Well, maybe that's because those were the times I was taking photos was when I was on vacation. I was taking pictures of the highlights. 
So you walk away with this impression, oh, Andrew lived in Hawaii all the time, but I was actually there 0.01% of the time. You're looking at the highlights. In the same way, we can look at the highlights of 30 years of ministry in the book of Acts and start to expect, oh, wait, this is the way it's supposed to be all the time. No, similar to the ministry of Jesus, the signs and wonders that accompanied the preaching of the gospel in the book of Acts, they were meant to point to the coming kingdom of heaven that we're all receiving and stepping into as believers. And these were signs, you know, a picture of what it's going to look like when we don't have any pain, when we don't have any illness, when we're completely restored in the presence of God. Okay, but Jesus himself said in Acts chapter 1, I am not bringing the fullness of that kingdom right now. I'm going to be bringing that later on. And there's false teaching that propagates in the Christian church, which over-anticipates that the kingdom in all of its fullness is already here. Everybody's going to be healed. There's going to be overt miracles every single time we come together. You know, nothing's ever going to be wrong in believers. Well, we know that's not the case from our own practical experience, and it's not the testimony of the scriptures. Okay, that's a picture. Those moments, those signs and wonders are a moment that encapsulates what heaven will be like, but it isn't fully established today. If you think about it, Jesus would have taught very differently if we were supposed to expect that all of us, having received the Holy Spirit, are going to be working overt miracles in every situation. Like, you take a a flagship teaching, like the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's one of the flagship teachings of Jesus. If all of us were just going to perform miracles all the time, it would be taught this way. You know, hey, you come across somebody who's left for dead on the side of the road, you know, beaten and abandoned. Well, all you got to do, every believer, every disciple of Jesus filled with the Holy Spirit has got to go over to that person and pick them up and they're going to be healed. That would have been the parable of the Good Samaritan. That's the responsibility, the normative response of all of us when somebody's dead on the side of the road. You know, you pick them up and they're raised to life. But that's not what he teaches, is it? He says, this is the norm. This is the expectation. When somebody's left for dead on the side of the road, you're going to do these very practical steps. You're going to pick them up You're going to tend to their wounds. You're going to put them on your donkey, which is the, you know, ancient equivalent of the Honda Civic, you know, your economy car. You're going to put them in the car. You're going to take them to the inn, a place that they can be cared for, and you're going to pay their bills. That's what I want to be the norm for my disciples. And you can look at that and think, oh, that's not very spiritually powerful, right? But if you've been listening in this series, you know that that is spiritual because it's very easy for me to just heal somebody and pick them up. It's much more difficult. It's more of a cost. It's more of a sacrifice to have to live into that greatest commandment to love my neighbor in actions and in truth to absorb that cost. That brings me more in line with the character and the heart and the holiness of God. So, of course, that should be the norm. Jesus didn't tell us expect overt miracles every single day of your life. But let me be clear. I don't think that there's anything fundamentally different between the ministry that the apostles were doing in the book of Acts than the ministry that we're doing today. I do think we should expect and pray for these miracles to still yet occur. I believe as we go about ministering to people and preaching the gospel that there are going to be testimonies of people being healed. There are going to be testimonies of people being freed from evil spirits. All the sort of things that you see in the book of Acts. But my point in all this is that I don't believe the power referred to in the giving of the Holy Spirit is exclusively or even mainly having to do with working miracles. 
But rather, what did Jesus say in verse 4? You're going to wait to receive power in order to be what? In order to be my witnesses. You're going to receive power in order to be my witnesses, in order to be able to testify to who I am. So that's the other power that we're going to be talking about this morning. The Holy Spirit gave the formerly timid disciples the power to share about Jesus. He gave them the power to share the truth boldly in love. Now let me support this elsewhere because I believe uh, you'll see that this is a theme through the scriptures. When Paul, the Apostle Paul, was writing a letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, he's writing him this letter of encouragement, he speaks to the Spirit and the boldness that the Holy Spirit is going to give to Timothy. He says to him in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 6 to 7, I remind you, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. He says, you got a spark in you, Timothy. It's a gift from God. It's God's very presence in you. And you got to fan that gift into flame. you got to rely on that power that God has gifted you. And truly that God has gifted every single one of you through faith in Jesus. Because the spirit that God gave you does not make you timid. You know, there are people you've probably been around that make you timid. Can you think of anybody in your past that you you feel timid around when you're in their presence? I had this boss when I was, yeah, exactly, a boss or something, you know? I had this boss when I was working maintenance and engineering at at this church. It was a church with giant facilities, 15,000-person churches, 30,000-person church now. So I was working on maintenance and engineering, and I had a boss who was just one of those tough-as-nails guys. You know, and I'm a teenager, and this is one of those guys who looks a couple decades older than they actually are. They're just that hardened, you know, in life. And he knew everything about everything. And kind of genuinely, at least from my perspective. And basically anything that you did, you did wrong around this individual. You know, I'd say I go to paint a wall or something and I'd be painting for, you know, 15 minutes. And then he'd come in and show me how I'm painting wrong. What do you mean I'm painting wrong? It's very simple. You load up some paint, on the roller, you put the roller on the wall, you roll it on the wall, right? He goes, well, you're leaving streaks. It's clumped up on the side right there, can't you see? You're flinging paint everywhere. Can't you see all the flecks in the, in the carpet? You know, you did it wrong. You know, if you go to change out a trash bag, right? You changed it out wrong. You've got to make sure the end that you tie on the trash bag is just perfect so it fits around the lids snugly so it doesn't fall in and then you've got trash everywhere on the outside of the bag. You put the trash bag in, you put it in wrong. Every single thing you did, you did wrong. So this was somebody who every time I was around them, you know, just naturally, I was timid. I was intimidated by them. Paul says that is not the voice of God's spirit in your heart and mind. He doesn't intimidate you. He's not constantly pointing out every single thing you did wrong so that you're timid. It's the spirit of God that encourages you, emboldens you, reminds you that you're in Christ reminds you that you're forgiven, reminds you that you can do this. 
He gives you the words to speak when you don't have the words yourself. And that's exactly what Timothy needed to hear. Because he was young and he was being put through the washing machine that was ministry. You know, in that day and age, Christianity wasn't just a minority. It was a minority of a minority. Okay, with all this opposition in the world. And as he's young and going about his ministry, there's all these older men in the community that should have had his back, but they were thinking, well, Timothy doesn't know diddly. Well, Paul says the Spirit doesn't make you timid. Everyone else around you, they may make you timid. You may feel timid in yourself. The Spirit empowers you. He gives you the love that you need so that you can sacrifice. He gives you self-discipline. You think, why is that a power that the Spirit gives us? So that we can live a holy life. So that we can be like the character of God amidst the opposition that we're facing. Look at the next few verses. Like just following what I read from uh, 2 Timothy here, chapter 1, verse 8. So do not be ashamed of the testimony. Do not be ashamed of the testimony, Timothy. Know the gift that you have. Know the power that you have. Other people are going to make you feel ashamed. Everybody else may make you timid. But don't be ashamed. Not about the gospel, not about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Not a lot of people think about the power of God as the power to endure suffering. But when you talk about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to have us love like Christ against opposition, what's that going to take? It's going to take sacrifice. We're going to have to go through suffering as people reject us. But the Holy Spirit gives us the power to endure through suffering, to continue to love like Christ. He has saved us and called us to a holy life. That's self-discipline, not because of anything we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. With everything coming at him, you're going to stay in line with the character of God because the Holy Spirit's giving you the power to hold to it. The power to speak our testimony, to endure suffering and love, the power to be disciplined and fulfill the calling of this holy life, that's the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in every single one of you through faith in Christ. Now, understanding that, like filling out the power of the Holy Spirit, let's go back to the book of Acts and do a little bit of a case study, okay? Let me summarize what's going on in Acts chapter 3. In Acts chapter 3, the apostle Peter he heals this beggar, and it becomes a platform where it says in the book of Acts, that full of the Holy Spirit, Peter preaches about all that Jesus has done. He witnesses, he testifies to Jesus, and all the crowd is interested in the boldness and the authority of the teaching. And it turns out in Acts chapter 4, the Jewish religious establishment feels very threatened by this, and they pull Peter other leaders together and they say, you can't do this. You can't talk about Jesus. We don't want to hear it anymore in Jerusalem. And this is a crossroads moment in the church. Because what they do at that point determines whether or not Christianity is a blip on the radar of history or if it's two billion self-proclaimed Christians strong like it is today. That moment was one of the most definitive moments how they responded to the resistance and the threats and the opposition. We don't want you to talk about Jesus anymore. That could have been it. How did they respond? How are we going to respond right now? That's a great question. We are at a crossroads. <laughs> this could be some of the most monumental decision-making that we do as a church, how we act right now at this time in history. And it could determine this sort of future or this sort of future for us. How are we going to respond in this moment? What did they do? 
they got together. They had a church gathering. They shared about all the pressures that they were facing. And they prayed. They prayed. It was the most consequential decision they may have ever made up to that point. To face that opposition, to talk about it, and then to decide together that we're going to pray. We're going to see God on this. Listen to their prayer from Acts chapter 4, verses 29 to 31. Lord, consider the threats that we're having, the opposition and resistance that we're having coming against us, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And it says, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what was the result? They spoke the word of God boldly. They prayed for power and they received it by the Holy Spirit. A few chapters later, you see the evidence of this. The deacon, Stephen, it says, full of the Holy Spirit, stands up to testify and to witness to what Jesus has done. And he sees a vision of Jesus receiving him in his kingdom as they are stoning him to death. In that moment, he demonstrates the power of the Holy Spirit, the love of God in not fighting back, the self-discipline to maintain the character of God. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So the power of the Holy Spirit is toward boldness in our witness. And why wouldn't he be empowering us toward boldness in our witness? We already covered, we said, the Holy Spirit is constantly taking you and I and bringing us into harmony with the heart and mind of Christ. Now, was Christ afraid to share the truth? He was never afraid to share the truth. He was never worried about what his image would be, image management. He wasn't worried about how the truth would affect his reputation. He was willing to reconcile people to God at any cost. That was his main driver. If we're, you know, brought into harmony with Jesus, that's what we're going to do. We're going to make that our main thing, reconciling people to God at any cost, at even the greatest cost of his own life, which he gave on the cross. So if we're following the Holy Spirit's prompting and work in us, we too will be increasingly emboldened to witness to Christ in love. Now, not all of us, if we're honest, followed the Spirit this last year. Because in the face of resistance and opposition, which many of us faced, a lot of us felt prompted toward anger, anxiety, pride, and pettiness. That's where we went against the resistance and opposition of our time. And that is not the Spirit's leading. Some of you will actually say to me, well, Andrew, with everything going on, the opposition, the resistance that we're facing, why are you more angry? Why are you more anxious? As if those were the only two valid spiritual responses to resistance and opposition. It's sort of like someone saying like, yeah, anytime I'm in a conflict in my marriage, there's two options. We can yell at each other or we can avoid each other. You know, if that's how you manage conflict in your marriage, please reach out to us because we'd love to do some counseling with you because those are not your only two options, but a lot of people think those are my only two options. When I get in this situation, there's a conflict. We've got to yell at each other, yell it out, or we've got to avoid each other and just try to get through it. Anger and anxiety and pettiness are not the only valid spiritual responses or not even valid at all. Do you know how many other responses the Spirit can prompt through us? How about Endurance. How about perseverance? How about confidence? How about courage? Boldness? 
self-sacrifice, self-discipline, love, faith. These are all spirit-empowered responses to obstacles and resistance. The early disciples considered the threats. They considered the resistance and opposition. They got together and prayed. And what did they say? First thing out of their mouths, sovereign Lord. Sovereign Lord. It was a response of faith. That was their first response. Was that our response in this last year? Was that the first prayer out of our mouths? In 2019, Lord, you are sovereign. In 2020, you're sovereign. In 2021, you're sovereign. In 2022, you're sovereign. Was faith our first response? That should be the prayer that we pray every single day. Every prayer could start that way. God, you're in control. You didn't lose control. That's what makes us Christians, is that we have trust in God. We believe in God. So they prayed this. They said, sovereign Lord. Stretch out your hand and heal. Do what only you can do. And we will be bold. And we will be bold in proclaiming who you are. Give us that boldness. So don't mistake perseverance or confidence or faith for foolhardiness. That is the empowerment of the Holy Spirit against times of resistance and opposition. And it's true that we're in a time of resistance. These are spiritually troubled times, are they not? For the church and people in the world alike. When I survey society on a macro scale, if I look at our nation, I see trouble. When I look at the micro scale, I don't need to look that far. I don't need to look further than my own neighborhood. I know the stories of my neighbors. I see trouble. And when I look around, I feel compassion for what's going on in our nation. I feel compassion for what's going on in the lives of the people in my neighborhood because they are experiencing all sorts of negative symptoms that result from a lack of God's presence in their life. They do not know the blessedness of Christ. They do not know the blessedness of the gift of the Holy Spirit. I feel compassion. I feel a weight. When I look around, you know, you don't have to look far to see people are dysfunctional. They don't know how to be married. They don't know how to have relationships with their kids. They don't know what to value. They don't know what's important in life. So many people feel alone. So many people do not trust anyone. You agree with me on that? People right now trust no one. How do you wake them up? It's a great question. We have to start by seeing this root cause because if we keep treating all the symptoms and getting into all these petty fights about superficial things in our society... We're not going to get down to this root cause. The root cause, our root purpose, is to introduce people to Jesus. People need Jesus in their spiritual exhaustion. When you look at all the symptoms of our society, all the dysfunctions, you may get angry about that. I hurt over that. I bleed over that. This world needs Jesus, and it needs an emboldened generation of Christians who are going to witness to him, to his goodness in word and deed. You know, it makes me think of my wife. She's maybe the greatest evangelist that I know. She uses every platform that she has, every relationship that she has to proclaim Christ. Not nonsense. Okay, she doesn't focus on the superficial stuff. You know, when you do that on social media, when you focus on the petty battles in our culture and the superficial, you lose your witness. It is very easy for someone to say, oh, this person is just about this thing, this platform unfollow. You end up only speaking to people who agree with you. 
You don't have any relationship anymore to get to the deeper stuff. But my wife, all the time, she's just cutting to the deeper stuff. She'll just post about, you know, this scripture. You know, there's no nonsense. She'll post this devotional. And there are all sorts of people who should be totally turned away from the truth. But they know the fruit of Jesus in my wife. They see the deeds as well as the words. And so they listen and they receive things that they would never otherwise receive. She is so bold. Her business is her Instagram, basically. That's all her marketing. That's all her business. I see some of the stuff that she posts. I go, are you sure you wanted to do that? Because, you know, we got to pay the bills. And, you know, and she'll look at me like, huh? You're the pastor. Why are you telling me to tone it down? You know, she doesn't care about her image. She doesn't care about the lost business. She doesn't even give any thought to that. She is so bold. She's following the prompting of God's spirit. And she's preaching and she's teaching and she's sharing and testifying all in humility and love. Guys, we need more of that. We need more of that, and we have access to more of that because we have access to the same Spirit of God at work in us that my wife does. And you might say, well, she's different than me. I'm an introvert. I, you know, I don't use my words. I don't have a platform like that. We are all different, okay? We all have different Spirit-empowered distinctives. I covered that last week. But don't think that gives us the ability to just opt out of God's mission then. It's like some people are gifted in service. We talked about that last week. Does that mean we make them do all the work? No, they're gifted in service so that the whole body can be edified, so we can see what a life of service in Jesus looks like, and we get inspired to be like them. When somebody has a gift of giving, do we say, oh, okay, well, that person's just going to carry the financial burdens of the community because they have a gift of giving. I don't have that gift. No one has that gift if you phrase it that way. You know, no one wants to be the single person that's carrying all the financial burdens. They're gifted to show all of us the way of Christ so that we too will give. My wife may be gifted as an evangelist and it's just natural for her, but it's something that we get inspired by and we say, I want that sort of boldness because that's the boldness of Christ. She'd say, it's God. I'm listening, I'm reading, I'm praying, and I'm following the prompting of God in my daily life. We need more of that. We need more of the Spirit at work to embolden us to share about Jesus. You know, the Spirit is stirring up unbelievable things at this time. I'm telling you, not like next month or next year. I'm saying right now is a wild time in ministry in this city. Because this last week, you know, our elder board approved financial gifts to another church plant in this city of Huntington Beach. There's two churches that are church plants in this city that we are helping to fund to get off the ground, anything they need. We want churches planted in this city together. I'd love to be supporting 10 church plants in this city. I haven't heard about that stuff happening before. It's happening now. We got a meeting this week for Serve City. I shared about it in the State of the Church update, this nonprofit that we spent the last year putting together, Serve City. It's a platform for all the churches, the United Church of Huntington Beach, to collaborate together to make Jesus known in word and deed by serving together in the city, no matter which church we're from. And there's a group of pastors that are meeting this week to talk about the vision for that moving forward. I'm having a one-on-one meeting with the city manager, one of the most powerful people in the city of Huntington Beach. I say, pray for that gathering of pastors. Pray for this meeting that I have with the city manager. Pray that I'd be bold to witness to him who Christ is. Because this guy's coming from a background where he says faith-based organizations can't work together. The Christians is full of politics. We can't get anything done. We got to change that. And it's going to change 
We're going to make Jesus known in word and deed together. I mean, that's my whole purpose. Whether I got one more day of ministry in this city or I got 30 more years, I want to reach this whole city. This is our mission field, the work that's being done. Common ground, young lives, these partnerships. God is stirring something. But we need to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to also join in testifying to who Jesus is. What's going to happen? I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if this next season of ministry is riding a wave of revival or hitting a wall of resistance. You know, the Bible tells me this much. It says, you got to plant and you got to water. you got to do what I told you to do. I empowered you to share about me. And I make things grow. So if we hit a wall of resistance or we ride a wave of revival, our response should be the same. To pray together, sovereign Lord, in faith, Stretch out your hand, do the work that you can do through us, and give us boldness. Give us boldness to share who you are with everyone around us. Some of you are going to feel like, I've been waiting for this. This is me. Others of you are going to be like, I can't do this. I, I don't have great words to speak. I don't know how to walk someone through the book of Romans and baptize them in my backyard. I don't know how to do I can't do this. It's true. You can't do this. You were never supposed to be able to do this on your own. The apostles, even walking with Jesus, weren't supposed to be able to do it on their own. They had to wait for the gift. It wasn't enough for them to just be taught the things that Jesus taught them. They needed to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. They needed to depend on the Holy Spirit. And that's what you need as well. All of us. Jesus says in Mark chapter 13, verse 11, when he's preparing his disciples, whenever you're arrested and you face resistance and opposition and you're brought on trial, okay, this is a whole other level in the opposition that we're facing. He says, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Some of you, that's exactly where you go with this message. I don't know how to talk to this neighbor. I don't know how I'm going to be participating in all this stuff about boldness. You're worrying beforehand about what to say. You're projecting out all of your human limitations. And imagine how many limitations they felt they had when they're on trial and their life is on the line. They could either be executed or set free. And they're worrying beforehand about what they're going to say. And Jesus says, don't. Because in that moment, just say whatever is given you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Don't spend any of your time worrying about what that interaction with that neighbor is going to be like three days from now. At that moment, the Holy Spirit can carry you to say things you couldn't say in and of yourself. Things that you could not say in and of yourself. So again, some of you are going, I don't know what my marching orders are. What do I do with a message as broad as this? Let me boil it down really simple. I want us to do three things. I want us to listen. I want us to pray. And I want us to testify. Listen, pray, and testify. That simple. Everywhere you are, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, listen. Because you will get a picture of just how spiritually lost this world is right now just by listening. I am just listening to the people around me at the grocery store, at the beach, in my neighborhood. People want to talk. They want to talk about how they don't trust anyone. 
They want to talk about how alone they are. They want to talk about how lost they are in parenting their kids right now. Listen. Listen with that heart of compassion that knows that these are all symptoms of a lack of God's presence in people's lives. Pray. That's the crossroads that the church was at. What did they do? They needed to pray. We need to pray. Because we don't know what to do. We don't know what to say. We can't affect the change that we want to see in people's lives. Pray. Pray while someone's talking to you. As you're listening to what they're saying, start praying about what they're sharing with you. Start walking your neighborhood and praying for your neighbors by name. Pray for your coworkers. Ask to pray with people. You will be astonished. You never get turned away. You rarely ever get turned away. Some of you will be turned away. But people want prayer. They are desperate right now for healing. They don't know where to find it. Guys, right now, the two first steps, even you introverts can do this. I haven't even done anything that pushes you that hard, all right? I've said, listen and pray. This should be right down the middle for all of us. I can listen. You know, I can pray. I'll listen. Someone else can talk. But there is that final step. We've got to testify. We've got to witness. And it's not, here's how you get baptized from Romans. They were just going to share who Jesus was, what Jesus did. You have something to share about who Jesus is, what he has done. You've encountered the same world that these other people have encountered, but you've encountered it different because the presence of God is in your life. You just need to, you just need to say it. Just share it. Don't be timid because of how they might respond. Don't be timid because they might reject you. These guys had to go on trial and their life might be on the line and they're worried about it. We might just be brushed aside. We might be written off. Don't be afraid. Where other people might make you ashamed or timid, the Holy Spirit will make you bold. He'll give you power, love, self-discipline, and the words to say when you need them. I want to turn this into a prayer rally right now because that's what they did in Acts chapter 4, and that was the difference maker, was the prayer. They looked to God. They said in faith, Sovereign Lord, and they asked for God to do what only He could do, and then they said, Give us boldness. And so I want us to pray together for that same thing. I know sometimes maybe I pray and your mind is wandering here and there, But they got together and they said, this is the opposition. These are the threats. We're in on this. And we've received the Holy Spirit. We want this boldness together. And so I want us to come together as a church family and ask for the same thing. If you're home right now on your couch, I want you to be asking for the same thing right now. Your heart attuned and united with all of us. Let's pray. Let's, Let's pray. Let's seek our sovereign Lord, our Father in heaven. God, we say... First of all, that you are above it all. You reign above it all. You are the God over 2020 and 2021 and 2022. We are going to respond to this resistance and opposition in faith because we trust you. We may not trust what's going on in the world. We didn't, we weren't told to. We were told to trust you. We trust you, God. And we're asking that you would work miraculous effects as we preach and proclaim the truth of who you are, would people be healed? Would people be freed of evil spirits? Maybe most of us wouldn't have even prayed that a year ago, but now we know, oh, there's evil, and it afflicts people. We're aware now. We're asking that you free people from the evil oppression, the spiritual oppression that they're in. Lord, give us boldness to speak your word humbly and in love with self-discipline and your holiness 
empower us to just testify to what you've done. God, would you fan into flame this spark that you place in us, your Holy Spirit, that it becomes a flame. That where the world may make us feel timid, the world may make us feel ashamed. We may be worried about what we're going to say beforehand. We may be worried about the outcome and the rejection. God, you said don't. For in the moment, in that given time, there'll be words. They don't need to be perfect. They'll be your words. Seeds. Watering seeds. God, you'll, you'll grow it. That's not on us. What's on us is this choice right now to seek you, to pray, to pray for all those around us, to pray for the society, the city that we're in, all the things you're stirring up, God, to be a part and to be bold ourselves, to speak who you are, who you've been to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at brancheshb.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at brancheshb. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.